Hello and welcome to a special edition of The Opening Bell, the Boxing News Podcast. My name is Matt Christie, I'm the editor of Boxing News and I am stuck in the bubble in Manchester. It's been an interesting week and I thought it'd be nice just to take you through a few of the interviews that I've been doing, give you a snippet of life inside the bubble. Um, The first person that I spoke to, actually, and it wasn't a bad start really, was the one and only Roy Jones Jr. I can't tell you how gooey everybody goes when they encounter Roy inside this bubble. Um, I was sat having a chat to Andy Lee last night, who of course is here as, as the trainer of Joseph Parker. And Roy Jones came over, said, recognized Andy Lee, and Andy Lee was beside himself, beside himself with glee that Roy Jones Jr. had recognized him. Natasha Jonas um, has, has been talking to him. Katie Taylor has really enjoyed um, Roy Jones's company. He is kind of like royalty in here, as you can understand. And that was kind of how our conversation started on Wednesday. He, of course, is here as the trainer of Chris Eubank Jr. Uh, this will be their first assignment together after they joined forces last year with Chris Eubank going over to Pensacola um, to live on the farm, on Roy Jones's farm, um, and be trained by the former four-weight world titleist. Fighters that are that great, it has been said, are often not regarded as the best trainers for the simple reason that their standards are so astronomically high that it is often they can get a little bit frustrated with pupils that cannot match them. Uh, I put this theory to Roy Jones Jr. and this is what he had to say. No, I can't relate to that at all because I don't try to train guys to be me. I train guys to maximize their DNA. So in maximizing your DNA, what you do is probably going to be a lot different from what I do. So the way I learned boxing was I learned how to box. Then I learned what genetic differences I had from other people. One of my genetic differences was my speed. And then the other one was to improvise or to pick up from something out here and I could transition that into the boxing ring. Some people can't do that. So you can't expect them to do what I do. I was a different animal. God made me, then he made you, then he made him. Then he didn't make us all the same. He didn't even make us all at the same time. So you can't expect them to do what you do. You got to expect them to do what you tell them to do to maximize their genetics. I've been talking to Chris for years and he, was, he would always say, I don't need a trainer, don't need one. Yet, the last time I spoke to him, there was very, very obvious respect for you. What do you bring to the Chris Eubank Jr. business? I just try to add to what he already has. He, Chris Eubank was world champ when I met him. He's the interim champ right now when I met him. So it's like, it's not that everything he's doing is wrong. He just may need a little bit more if he wants to go to the top and compete with the top and win against the top. So we're trying to add those extra ingredients that he needs to get him over the top. What are, the, what are those extra ingredients? Well, he needs a few things like um, just timing, um, timing with his explosiveness because he's very explosive. But sometimes he goes way up here with it. Then he comes way back down here for a while. And that causes a bad balance. Whereas if you bring it down some, take it so high, and bring this up some, that creates a better balance. All I'm trying to do is give him a better balance. 
Moments after speaking to Roy, uh, I sat down with Chris Eubank, and as I sat down next to him, he was eating his chips, um, which I found a little bit peculiar just days before the weigh-in. Um, but we got to talking about life on that farm. Um, I see Chris around Brighton fairly regularly. He drives his McLaren, he's got his personalised number plate. Uh, he's a bit of a celebrity around town, but it's a world away from Pensacola in Florida, um, particularly a farm in the middle of nowhere. And I just asked him how on earth he spent his time when he was not boxing. Well, that's the thing about Pensacola, Florida. There's not a whole lot going on down there. Um, and I'm a city boy, you know. You know, I th I, I love you know, Las Vegas and Brighton and London and you know, training in, in those environments. Um, so I think that says a lot as well for me to put myself in that situation. I didn't have to go down there. I didn't have to be surrounded by raccoons and armadillos and you know having to drive you know a pickup truck to and from the gym every day instead of, you know, a McLaren. Um, I didn't have to do any of that. You know, I could have I stayed comfortable. But I chose to put myself in that position because, uh, you know, I want to get better. I want to be the best. I want to be surrounded by the best. Um, boxing is about sacrifice. It's about doing things you don't want to do to become a better fighter. Um, you know, and I, I knew I needed to use COVID. I needed to use that time to to still try and improve. Even though I wasn't able to fight, I feel like I've still improved as a fighter, which I don't think many fighters during COVID can say that they did. You know, most guys either stay the same or they got worse because they weren't training or they weren't you know sparring or they weren't fighting. I feel like I've gone up. Um, so yeah, I'm just very happy to now finally be back in the ring and, and getting to show everybody what I've been working on over the last year and a half. Eubank Jr. of course will meet Marcus Morrison in a 10 round middleweight bout. Marcus Morrison is a ginormous underdog to put that into some sort of context. Chris Eubank is a 1 to 50 favorite. Marcus Morrison's manager, Joe Gallagher, um, is here and I caught up with him after today's weigh-in and I was asking him about Marcus Morrison's chances um, and of course Natasha Jonas's chances who Gallagher trains um, and this is where I spoke to Joe Gallagher and I spoke to Natasha Jonas immediately afterwards and I just asked Joe if he'd ever been involved in a fight card where he was responsible for two such sizable underdogs on the same bill. Yeah, um, Callum Johnson, Scotty Cardle down at the O2 a few years ago, Cardle against Ritson, Callum Johnson against Frank Buglione. Same there, I said one will have a moment in the fight and I was usually convinced CJ was going to do what he did and I think it's the same with these two. Marcus will have a moment in the fight. What happens at that moment, like with Cardle, Ritson, he caught him but couldn't land the second shot to put him over. If um, Marcus lands, it's up to them to seize the moment, go for it, he ain't going to get that many moments in the fight. And Natasha, um, like I said in the press conference, we're, we're, we're fully confident that she's got to win them belts. How, when I've been, one of the things that I noticed this week, which is quite interesting, typically you, and it shows the respect that the people in your team have got for you, 
while all that was going on at breakfast the other morning the Chisora and Parker mm. you were at the back of the room just it looked to me like you were dissecting footage of Katie Taylor yeah we have we always on, on fight week have what we call um, a video session that was a video session we didn't know what was going on in the cafe that day this is what was planned so um, Natasha came down she had half hour 45 minutes to go through tactics to go through certain fights just just what I call bullet points on things that we've got to remember for the fight and then after that then Marcus he came down and he had his 40-45 minutes going through a few fights of Eubank and his bullet points just refreshing and visually seeing what we've worked on the gym how it can happen on fight night and me presenting them there you go there's the keys to the safe that's how you've got to go and do it and what we've done in the gym they've seen other people do it and they're capable of doing that so we do that all the time but I didn't know that carry-on was going on Spider-Man and all that we were just were, were you oblivious to it? no they're saying until at some point so Spider-Man's flying about but we're just like nah sat there and, and that's it I mean, that's their circus this is us do you know what I mean so can I, can I bring you in Tasha if you yes. thought so you've just weighed in I mean it's, I've, I've said it all week and you've heard it before it's the best fight on the boat <laughs> Um, really excited about it. How are you feeling now? Everything's done now, isn't it, pretty much? How are you feeling at this point, ahead of what must be the biggest fight of your life? Yeah, I think, you, you, you know, you get your schedule, you've got your media day, you've got your, you know, your public warehouse, well, not so public now, but... And then your weigh-in is your last thing that you need to do, and once that's done, it's, the fight's on, so... You know, it's all done, it's all dusted, and you just got to go out and perform now. You were the underdog in the summer, the underdog again tomorrow. That must be a huge source of inspiration for you as well at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it is what it is. I, I get why I am that person, but the more people that tell me that I can't, the more I prove them wrong. You know, my inspiration comes from, you know, how strong women like me nana, me mum are, me little girl sending me messages saying good luck mummy this morning. So. They're my inspirations. That, you know, I want to prove some people right and other people's wrong. So. I know you need to eat and everything else, but just one more question. Okay. The one, when you lost as a professional, it looked like an awful long way back for you. Did you even question your future at that point? Yeah, of course I did. I mean, it's never happened before in that manner. Obviously, in amateur boxing, you lose, but you I've never lost like that. Um, but, yeah, it, when I, I went away, for, it took me a couple of months. And when I come back, I was come back itching. I said to Joe, no, I'm not going to leave the story like that. There's, I, I need to, there's stuff I need to do. And that's, the whole reason I came back was to, there was something that was unfinished. And this is it. Jonas, of course, is fighting Katie Taylor. And earlier on in the week, I spoke to Katie. Um, and every time you speak to Katie Taylor, you are taken aback by how sincerely humble she is um, and that was the case again here um, we got to talking about um, her when she started to take up boxing um, when she was a youngster and I asked her if she could have one piece of advice for her 11 year old self what would it be 
I'd probably tell her to enjoy the journey a bit more. Um, <laughs> I always feel like uh, after each victory, uh, I'm always so focused on the next, the next one, and I guess that's just my competitive spirit coming in. But sometimes I, I wish I had the discipline to actually enjoy the victories a that bit more. Um, I'm speaking, I'm still preaching to myself right now, even, <laughs> even with that. But uh, I, I would definitely tell her just to, to, to try and enjoy it a bit more. Even um, the Olympic gold medal that I did win. When I was on the plane home from those London Olympics, I was automatically thinking about the Rio Olympics. Um, so, yeah, I don't think I, I, I enjoyed it as much as I, as I probably should have. Do you, do you think you ever, do you think you ever will look back and truly appreciate everything you've done? Do you ever think it will feel like the end almost of your career? Uh, I think I will eventually. I think right now I'm, I'm obviously focused on what I, what I need yeah. to do right now. But I think once I retire from the sport, I will take a moment maybe to look back. I'm not one for looking back really uh, in general, but there probably will be a stage where I do look back and uh, think about all the stuff that, uh, that our, our generation of players have actually done. For, for a lot of people, particularly for the hardcore fans, your fight is by far and away the best one yeah. on this bill. Yeah. Do you think that you should have been the main event? Yeah, a lot of people have said that to me. Yeah, I think it's it would probably be worthy of a main event. Um, you know, but also Parker and Jasor is also worthy for of a main event as well. It's a huge heavyweight fight, isn't it? Um, maybe on a different day, it, it would it could have been a main event, I guess. But uh, regardless, uh, it, it doesn't really matter. I don't think I'm just there to to put on a, a great performance. Yeah, I'm not really too hung up on those things. You may have heard in the Joe Gallagher interview there where we touched upon the um, breakfast meeting between Joseph Parker and Derek Chisora that took place on Thursday morning. It was all arranged, pre-arranged, Derek Chisora's idea, where Chisora and Parker sat down at breakfast. Uh, then they were joined by Spider-Man, of course, which was a little, a little dig at Parker, who was bitten by a spider and then had to pull out of a 2019 assignment with Derek Chisora. Um, I asked Joseph Parker what it was like to sit down at breakfast with his opponent, the guy who will be fighting in the ring in two days' time, and someone as notoriously volatile as Derek Chisora. It was a different kind of intense, you know. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever been involved in. Like, I've never had breakfast with my opponent before. Yeah. Um, and it went from being nice, respectful, and then we started talking about boxing. He wants to knock me out, I want to knock him out. And we're just telling each other. And then back to, oh, so how's things with your family and, you know, how's life? It was very bizarre, I know, it was quite strange. Whose who's idea was it? It was just idea. He saw me yesterday and said, let's have breakfast at 10. It's okay. He's, he's, he's known as being a little bit volatile. Were you concerned? Were you just thinking, what if he just flips the table or, or something like that? The only concern is because um, he, he goes from one extreme to the next. Like he can, like this morning when we were being nice to each other, he could have flipped down to something else. But I think he's very, he's changed from what I've seen, you know? Yeah. Uh, a lot better in terms of leading into fights. And he only puts it on on fight night so that's it's great to see a good change in someone yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe you found I think you found someone in the church or found Christ or something yeah yeah. that could do help you, do you think you know like you're made back to me it helps as well I mean you're, you're quite uh, different from other heavyweights yeah I don't think he could do this with many other heavyweights <laughs> I don't think him and Dylan White could sit down and have breakfast together you know or you know him and Fury he'll be I don't know no, now they can because they've already fought but I don't think it can be done with many fighters 
What did you make of all of that with the, the Buddy McGirt saying we're going to hit him everywhere, we're going to get you everywhere? And you, is there a concern that this is going to be you're going to be dragged into this dirty, horrible fight? If they make it dirty, the ref's going to be there to do his job, which is to um, look after both fighters. Um, but if he does that, I'll do it straight back. You know, there's no. He's going to do everything he can to win. Uh, that's the same as me, you know, because this is a very important and big fight for both of us. You know, if I want to be champion again, I have to beat this guy and I have to, I have to get in there and do everything. Because you, you, you have made, we spoke just before about you leaving your kids. It's a big change what you're, what you're doing, particularly with Andy Lee. Um, just explain the level of sacrifice that you're making for the sport boxing at the moment. I know a lot of fighters probably go through the same thing, leaving their families and going into training camp and, and being away for a long time. And it's probably, that's probably the hardest part about being a fighter, I feel, was leaving your family, especially when your kids are young. So a sacrifice on my side but also a sacrifice on their side you know not me not being there and they're you know they're just trying to I don't know keep each other happy and keep busy so they're not thinking of me all the time so a lot of fighters make the sacrifice of leaving their families and that's um, yeah, that's what we do to to make a living and to fulfil our dreams how, how how educational has it been under Andy Lee? I feel like it's uh it's a great move at this stage of my career. There was nothing wrong with the old team. Everything was great, but I just needed a new voice and uh, just a new just a new setup to try something else. I don't want to be the fighter in the future to say, that goes, what about if I try this or try that, you know? Looks back at his career and say, why didn't I do this? So I feel like it was great to make the move. I've enjoyed every moment of training and learning, and I've enjoyed every hard session that we've done. It struck me as I watched Derek walk into the restaurant that morning before he had breakfast with Joseph Parker and he was in a white dressing gown and he was being followed by cameras and he was really enjoying the attention. His image is all over this hotel. He is topping a pay-per-view bill. Um, and it took me back to when Derek Chisora used to phone up the Boxing News office and ask to be put on the front cover. This is back before he was a world-level fighter. Um, and he used to phone up all the time and demand uh, to be put on the front cover. Um, and I remember spending a day with Chisora before the uh, aborted Vladimir Klitschko fight. Um, and it just took me right back. And I just looked at Chisora a couple of days ago and just thought this is exactly what he always wanted and asked Chisora if that was a fair comment. Yeah, that's right. You know, uh, you know when, you, when, when you're coming up in, in the rankings, you know, you want, you want the good things. But come, those good things come with politics. You know, I keep coming back to this example. I say when you're young, when we're boxing in amateurs, we're boxing for the trophies, and for the shows, we're not boxing for any politics. We're boxing against somebody from down the road. I can beat that guy from that club. You fight that guy, you beat him, you know, things like that. There's no politics in that. That's when you had the love for the sport. The love for the sport only dies out when you have, when you go professional. Because it's politics in professional boxing. You know, and when I asked for the, to be on the front cover, I was like wondering, if I'm the British champion and the Commonwealth champion, one man or game front cover, why is the lightweight game the coverage before the heavyweight? See, that's where the politics were coming in. Why are we going to put this, this black guy on the front cover for what reason? You know, 
but I hold all the belts. Why am I not going on? This is the reason why I should call him. You know, uh, I'm fighting Vladimir. Why am I not on the front cover? Why do I have to be on the back page? Those are politics. You know, so, you know, for me uh, now, I'm, I'm, I'm happy I'm on Sky. You know, I do what I do. I do what I do. I have to entertain the fans and I enjoy it. I'm not just saying it to blow smoke from your box. You are genuinely one of the most fascinating characters and boxers that's ever been in this country. But I always wonder what really makes you tick, what gets you out of bed every morning. What gets me out of bed? What gets me out of my getting my smart car drive four miles down the gym in town at four o'clock in the morning to train? Because I want to enjoy it right now, as, I, as, I'm, I'm, as I'm here. You know, why people, David, why they retire is because they don't enjoy it anymore. Why Tony and I'm not retired because they don't enjoy it anymore. You know, why Anthony, million dollar kid, retired because they don't enjoy it anymore. It's not because he can't box, because they don't enjoy it. But I enjoy it. You know, I enjoy, I enjoy coming out fighting entertaining people, giving people something to talk about. I like it. So that was Derek Chisora, a little glimpse into what is always a mind that has done nothing but truly fascinate me, whether he wants to talk or not. He is, um, as I said there, one of the most fascinating characters I think that British boxing has ever seen. And that mind um, kind of played could yet play havoc with this card we're led to believe this is kind of the story now about an hour after the weigh-in i record this and after the two fighters without any incident whatsoever which i noted at the time was highly unusual for a Derek chisora weigh-in um were then to flip a coin to decide who was to walk to the ring second and chisora said he wasn't going to to flip a coin because he was going to walk to the ring second. If he doesn't walk to the ring second, then he isn't going to fight. I asked Eddie Hearn to explain a little bit more about what had just happened. Yeah, so um, no, both both guys knew that, obviously, in the contract, there's no, you know, it's a vacant title. One guy's higher in the world rankings, one guy's the away fighter, the home fighter. We all agreed and signed for that we'd do a coin toss. Uh, on the day of the weigh-in to establish who would walk first and second. Um, unfortunately, Derek, being Derek, just decided he's walking second. Walked off, wouldn't do the coin toss. Um, horrifically, David Hay, on behalf of Derek Chisora, lost the coin toss. And Andy Lee and Joseph Parker said, we will walk second. So right now, Derek Chisora is refusing to fight unless he walks second. So... Um, I don't think the fight's in jeopardy, but I'm very interested to see how it's going to play out. In fact, with my experience, Matt, maybe five or ten years ago, I would have been worried and, you know, maybe in tears right now, but actually, it's boxing. And one way or another, it will work itself out. Might be in the next ten minutes. Might be at five to ten tomorrow night. Because if this is not resolved, we're going to get to a point tomorrow in the arena where Derek Chisora's told it's time for his ring walk and he may not leave his dressing room. Or he might just go home tonight. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be fun. Just another day at the office. So there we are then. We presume that the fight will happen. Um, knowing Derek Chisora, it's, it, I mean, I must admit, I've got a little inkling that this whole 
thing is just one big pantomime designed to draw attention to the fight. Um, and there may be some truth in that. We will see. Uh, but judging by the reaction from everybody in the Chisora business at the moment, um, and speaking to some other people behind the scenes, it does seem that this could be genuine. And if that is the case, it could be quite problematic. Um, in the end, you wonder if Joseph Parker, who's a far more lucid and laid-back individual, will just say, for the sake of it, I'll walk first. Don't worry, I'll walk first. Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, inside the bubble, tricks are played on minds, and this seems like the biggest thing in the world at the moment, when clearly it's not. Anyway, thanks everybody for listening. Please rate and review, and we will be back next week with our normal weekly podcast.